Thanks for listening to The Derivative. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors. Welcome to The Derivative by RCM Alternatives, where we dive into what makes alternative investments go, analyze the strategies of unique hedge fund managers, and chat with interesting guests from across the investment world. Everything is, you know, we're, we're not going past Friday with any of our positions yet, and we're keeping them extremely far out of the money. So our long is 200 points out of the money because yeah. we've seen moves, you know, so we have a, a 200 point, you know, probably a 150 point one by three put spread, but our long is about 150 points below the market. So you've got this kind of, you know, we call it a bear trap. Because we are seeing these, you know, down 90 point days, if you put that too close to the market, you know, one, it's going to be expensive. And two, you can get blown through really quickly on your ratio. All right. Welcome back, people. Uh, I feel like we're a little bit of Fox News today having Nancy Pelosi on. Uh, or Rush Limbaugh going on MSNBC to talk with Rachel Maddow. No, we're not getting political right before the election. I'm talking about having an option seller here on the pod, where we've usually typically have more long option, long vega, long gamma, and so forth managers than you can shake a stick at. But there's an option seller for every buyer, right? So why not talk to the other side? Why not hear how a pro manages the short option risk we all think we know so well? Uh, So to help us out with that a bit, we have Mark Adams. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Jeff. Good to talk to you. You too. So thanks for coming into the Hornet's Nest a little bit here. <laughs> um, Mark's the Assistant Portfolio Manager and Chief Quantitative Officer, the CQO. I haven't heard that before. I like that. Um, at Warrington Asset Management, uh, who's a sub-advisor to the Catalyst Warrington Strategic Program, symbols CWXIX, mm-hmm. and the Rational Tactical Return Fund. Uh, the ticker there's HRSAX. STX. HRSTX, excuse me, That's and good. longtime options traders. So I'm excited to dig into how he views the market and the option world. Uh, so where are you, down in Dallas? Yep, Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Whole firm's Texas. down here. Yep. Um, and we were just chatting before we got started. It's cold there. Cold oh, like of course. Chicago. Oh, yes. This is our, our winter right now, I guess, 40 degrees and rainy, but you know, it is what it is. And are you a Cowboys fan? I was born into it and I'm not going to admit too much of it right now. (laughs) Hang our heads a little in shame, but you know, it ebbs and flows. We had a good run about 20 plus years ago. Yeah. It was fun, but not so much right now. Brutal this year. My buddy's a Cowboys fan. I just keep texting him like, man, this is, it just keeps getting uglier and uglier. It's at a certain point. I want us to lose to, you know, improve the draft pick, but you know, it's a little early for that. And then all the Packers fans are like, ha, you took our, you took our terrible coach. Good luck. Oh, with yes. That. We definitely did that. Um, and so, were you in the city or in the burbs or what? Nobody's uh, just the outside city. the city. Not that far. Probably 10 minutes from the office. So, not too bad. You know, it's a big spread out city, but I live relatively close to a, you know, uptown area. Yeah. My brother's down there in Addison. Okay. So that's a little, a little north of me. Out. Yep. Not too far. Um, 
And so you guys been going into the office or what? What's the, you know, in shifts, you know, right now I'm at home, you know, some people go to the office, you know, we've got a smaller space and we, but we don't have six people. So we can kind of, you know, some people are be there, some remote. And, and that's, what's so easy about this type of setup. You know, you can work from the office a couple of days, work from home, others, uh, but it really doesn't impact us. It just doesn't, you know, that's what we've all kind of learned is that, you know, being in the financial services space, we aren't making widgets. We don't need to physically touch something in order to produce what we do. I can do, you know, we do this via phone, via chat, via text message all day long, and it works just the same. And have you found it's been uh, actually easier to talk with people? Because Dallas is not necessarily on the hedge fund route. Right. Of yes. Allocators uh, and right. So found it e- like you get more meetings, more calls. Definitely. I, especially at the onset. I mean, when, you know, the stuff hit the fan in March, we had pretty decent performance in both our funds. So it was all day, every day phone calls, which is great. And it's continued because we've had okay numbers and, you know, and as people are, you know, still reticent to get up and move around, I've, how many of these have we done? I mean, I've done, yeah. you know, these type of interviews, multi, you know, kind of uh, one on, 50 different kind of uh, presentations, screen share, they all, they, they work really well. And we've seen, especially because we have some European investors, we can't get over there. So doing these type of things makes life a lot easier. And frankly, it's a whole lot cheaper and easier. We don't have to take yeah. a two week trip to see five people. That's a day. I think we're going to see more and more of it. What was just in the news? Singer in New York is going to bail and move to Palm Beach. And I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for those guys, things. taxation too is a big deal. So yeah, exactly. for us, you know, we, we've got that thing care for the moment at least. Right. So. If not bigger. Yeah. Right. They'll do the first steps, Palm Beach. The next is Puerto Rico for those guys. Exactly. Probably. Yeah. Um, goes. Cool. And then, uh, but you're originally from St. Louis. Yeah, I went to undergrad in St. Louis, and that's where okay. I worked a little bit. I'm originally from Dallas. Uh, okay. You know, born and bred. Um, so where in St. Louis? Billikens? Uh, no, uh, WashU in St. Louis. WashU, okay. Yep. Which had the uh, it was the most expensive undergrad in the country there for a little bit. I don't know. Maybe may now I was there forever ago, so it was you know <laughs> I graduated in 2000, so it's it's been a bit. Um, yeah, it's, I'm stunned. You know, I my kids look at that school. I've got it now. My oldest is a 15 year old, so he's in, into computer science. He's like, "Oh, Wash U has a good program." I was like, "Well, okay, let me start saving even more money then." So yeah, yeah, it's Some it's way. embarrassing how all colleges are like that. Though That's- I actually went. My wife's cousin uh, graduated there, and we drove down. And I went to the graduation there about five years ago. So oh yeah, I love go. St. Louis. Love it's beautiful great campus. To, yeah. Great place to visit. I always say. The um, and I can't remember if we comboed that with the eclipse. We went down through St. Louis to see the eclipse. What was that? Two years ago? Three oh, that's ago? right. Yep, yep. You're right. I think they had a pretty good view up there. Um, so give us the uh, so from St. Louis back to Dallas. How'd you end up at Warrington? What was sure. The so the the ah, gosh, you know, if you if you rewind far enough after after undergrad, I majored in finance business. You know, the businessy smorgasbord there. Uh, I started working for the Federal Reserve um, and I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to be in investments. This was at 2000, you know, and we're all bitten by the stock bug. So I'm sitting here day trading during stock or during, you know, often, you know, when I should be working, you know, so I knew really quickly that. <laughs> at you know, the Fed, you were day trading? Yeah, well, not, not too aggressively, but enough. Right. Do they allow that? 
uh yeah back then i wasn't in the research department so that was right. you know nothing nothing uh and this was you know back when when um you know the e-trades of the world were all still going and you know pretty easy uh to do that kind of stuff so um started there i knew pretty quickly i wanted to get into the investment field so but my degree was in you know finance management not really in investments so that's when i i knew i wanted, needed an mba so that's when i came down to smu uh, a couple of years later, and that's where the, the connection to to uh, Warrington came. You know, when I needed an internship, uh, you know, after the first year, I canvassed the SMU alumni in the Dallas area. You know, talked to you know a couple dozen people, some good fits, some not, and that one of the people I talked to was a gentleman named Scott Kimple at Warrington. I go meet with him, and at that time, he was managing about ten million. You know, friends and family, some clients, nothing crazy. Ten million for a hedge fund, as you know, is pretty small. Um, but he kind of said, "You know what? I Not like too small." Your... Twenty years ago, though. That's a thing. Back then, it was yeah. fine. You know, and now it's a different world. But back then, it was him and an assistant. And so I said, "All right, here's here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I can do." And he said, "Well, I'll tell you what. Can't pay you anything, but I'll let you. I'll intern. You, you help me out. I'll teach you some things. And at the end of the summer, I'll give you a good recommendation." Perfect. It's exactly Were you like uh, Eric Dickerson got a Trans Am. Can I, I need to get something. I know I need something on the table. Come on, help me out here, partner. But yeah, but I knew, you know, that's the thing. Experience is, is the ultimate thing. I need to have that transition. I need to get away from the Federal Reserve type of experience toward the investment management side. Uh, the summer progresses. Scott and I hit it off swimmingly. You know, we complement each other really well. And toward the end of the summer, you know, he's like, hey, can you stay on during the school year? Sure. Happily. Um, start work a couple of days here and there. We keep progressing. And then, um, you know, later on in the year, he asked me, so how's your job search coming? My first response was, you tell me, how is it coming? <laughs> and nice. very quickly, you know, we, we say, he said, well, this, this works pretty well. So I don't want to say the rest is history, but you know, we've kind of, we've had a great partnership ever since going yeah, on how many years, 20 ago? years, gosh, it was, it was April of Oh two when I walked okay. into his office. So you that's, haven't killed each other yet. So exactly. That's Not quite 20 years, but you know, long enough. And you know, we've a couple funds, a couple mutual funds, a couple usage funds, everything later um, turned into a real company here. It goes fast, right? Like when John Cummings and Jeff Eisenberg, and we've all been working together since Oh two. Yeah, when we started crazy. attain, and I'm always like, we're on a call, and we're like, Jeff and I have been working together for 20 years, and we're like, yep, what? Yep. That can't be true. I know. We we, we joke about that. It's, it's like when I talk about having like a 15 year old kid and things like that. I remember it's like, oh, that's when he says it makes him feel really old because it, all of a sudden it, I've got a high schooler. It does. My uh, new life advice for people is because you probably got private tuition for not just college but high school and grade school oh, yeah. down there. Not as much as Chicago, but I'm like, when you meet a girl. Right. It used to be when you get married, start saving for or when you have a kid, start saving for college. Oh. Now it's like when you meet a girl, start saving for grade school. Oh, it is. It's like it's three kids in private school here. So it's just, you know, that's part of the deal. You know, that's, it's we, we invest in our kids uh, intelligence, I guess. Let's hope it pays out. That's <laughs> the plan. That's the, the call option. So let's switch a little in. uh give us kind of the elevator pitch on what Warrington does and you can start quick and then we'll dig into the details. Sure. Um, so there's a lot going on there. Yeah. I mean, really at the end of the day, you know, we're option specialists, you know, you take, 
you know, the 30,000 foot view is that, you know, we trade short-term options, short-term options in two different strategies that both are founded on the same research. And we, we kind of take this kind of bifurcated approach where we say, we use technicals, you know, a number of off the shelf indicators that anyone uses MACD, RSI, et cetera, et cetera. We have a number of proprietary ones we use that, you know, we've talked about ad nauseum um, to a number of people all over, you know, put them on our website, everything. It's nothing super secret. We'll share all we can, but that's the, that starts with the technicals, you know, and everything is very short term. Like I mentioned, is there, you know, tactical will go one to two weeks before expiration. Strategic can go a little further out. Uh, but generally is a, you know, short term still as well. Uh, but then I think what makes us a little different, you know, some people are dogmatic on technical is the only way to make money, or some people say macro fundamentals are the only way to make money. Well, we see the value in both. We'll marry the two. So we take those technicals, make it giving, giving us a market opinion, bullish, bearish, neutral. Then we take a step back and say, what's actually going on in the world between now and the time of the options we're looking to trade will expire. That's the kind of the macro. That's the, the kind of, we call it fundamentals, but we're not out there, you know, doing channel checks on Apple or Microsoft or anything like that. What we are doing is saying, what's actually going on in the world? Is there a Fed meeting? Are we in earnings season? Is there a China Historic trade? Historic U.S. election. Exactly. Is there an election coming up? Things at the technicals, technicals are great at telling you where you've been. They're rear view looking. Fundamentals, the macro kind of tell you, here's some events that are coming up and the market may have an, will have an opinion and have a price baked into that. So we take that market expectation, marry it to what we think might happen, and then we kind of have a bifurcated kind of a quantum mental approach. It's the, the, the numbers, the technicals telling us something, then this macro, and we marry that together to kind of you know come up with the an overarching thesis. That's where then strategic and tactical will diverge. Strategic will use generally will uh, will buy ratio spreads, buy an, an option near the money, call or put sell a ratio deep out of the money to offset the cost of that long option. Tactical takes the opposite approach, still use that same fundamental and, and, and technical research, but then says, we're going to sell some premium. We're going to capture some, some premium to you know, for its investment gains. Ideally, that's the difference. You know, they both kind of, they both will express a bullish or bearish or neutral position, but do so in a different way. And that's, you know, the correlation between the two is almost nothing, you know, depending on what, fee structure you look at varies from 0.08 to 0.12 between the two. So just they're very different, even though it's, you know, both Scott and I working on the, on the research and executing the trades, but it's just the, the, the execution of how we express that opinion that and, makes it different. And backing up. So there's option specialists, two main strategies, tactical mm -hmm. and strategic, tactical, shorter term, strategic, little longer term, tactical, Marginally. Um, and then you're also sub-advisors for a few mutual funds, as I mentioned Correct. at yes. the beginning. Um, so those are using the same strategies? Yes. The, the Catalyst Warrington Strategic Program Fund takes strategic and the Rational Tactical Program takes tactical. So different Easy ways. Easy enough. Right? Exactly. We're, <laughs> we're not the most creative in our naming, but that's okay. Right. We're trying to make you know not too confusing around here. And so which, which you want to dive in first, tactical or strategic? Uh, let's go, let's go tactical, you know, yeah, let's say tactical inside of strategic in a way. Right? Ex exactly. It's kind of the, yeah. you know, str strategic is the older one, you know, and that started in January of 97 tactical is a little newer. Um, tactical came on, you know, we started it in uh, May of 12. 
first started just with, with you know, proprietary money, uh, then rolled it out to clients once we knew it was a, a very real program. But essentially, like we said, it takes that market opinion and then expresses it using short-term options. What we're doing is, you know, at the onset of a trade, say, you know, three, five business days before expiration, we're going to say, say we are mildly bullish. So in that case, you know, the, where, what we'll do is to balance the, 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 I guess the calls and puts, you know, that we're, we're doing the sizing of those and the premium we're looking to collect will be expressed, um, will be an expression of that market opinion. So like I said, if we're mildly bullish, we may say, you know what, we're going to sell a half contingent of calls, maybe a full contingent of puts because we're slightly bullish. You know, if we're, if we're ultra bearish, we may sell a full position of calls and no puts a la March of this. That was going to be my question of, do you, right. you ever on fully on one side? So, oh yeah, yeah, very much so. And yeah. that's, and that's, you know, like I said, it's an expression of, we are not dogmatic in the, in the, always having to have a full position on, you know, some option traders, and I think get it, we can get into the differences. Like we kind of talked about some option traders, you know, the power of theta, the, that time decay is such a big deal for some option traders. They say we have to have full positions all the time, no matter what. Yeah. And that's a great way to write your ticket out of this business. I think right. that is a, a, a one step out of the out of the door because um, being dogmatic that way, I think is, 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 ridiculous simply because you know you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring so and, and so that's that's to the kind of simplistic option strategy i'm just going to sell these puts mm -hmm. every x date yep collect that premium if something bad happens i'll try and maneuver around it. exactly exactly which yeah. which can work which can work great you know there's some of these these you know put right strategies out there they make indexes based on you sell x percentage out blah 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 and that's and there's a market for that. I think that's great. But I do think that's where being a discretionary manager, we that's that, you know, what you're paying us for. You're paying us to say, you know what, this doesn't make sense to have a massive short put position right in front of a coin flip. You know, you're 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 yeah. you're you're playing a lot of, you know, a lot of risk for possibly real, very real returns, but that's not what we're doing. We're doing, you know, we're, we're looking for nominal gains. If you look at our return stream, a good month is 1%. So yeah. we're not out there looking for that 20, 30% annualized return. That just doesn't, that's just not our, in our cards. That's just not how we operate. But and what that, we are trying to do is avoid those, those big downs as well. And so how far out of the money are you typically? You know, on the put side, um, you, depends. I would say on average position, I would say a VIX in the mid twenties, we're seven to ten percent for seven to ten percent out of the money for about a week before expiration. On the call side, it'll generally be a little closer, just because the way you know of skew, we may be four to six percent out of the money. Again, these are we're, we're not taking a lot of premium. You know, on an option like that, you know, on a call side, you're maybe taking twenty to thirty cents on the put 60 cents to a dollar. And we'll do that in, you know, in decent, decent size, but again, not anything extraordinary. So that in a given week, a 25 basis point return is a lot for us. Yeah. You know, you, you, if you pull up the HRSTX ticker symbol, you see a lot of this Stair like step. that a little yeah. stair step flat, you know, and you know, I get calls with people saying, so are you guys not trading? Well, we are, <laughs> but it takes, you know, to move a penny, it's about 16 basis points just based on the, the denominator. So that's, you know, we're trying to be the steady as she goes. 
kind of boring, admittedly, stick to what we know, but then, you know, try to avoid the big nasties because that's, you know, so far, so far, so good. And we can get into what we do to avoid that, but that's really our calling card. Yeah. And so if, if you're not necessarily selling theta, but that is part of the premium collection, well, it is, yeah. but that's not your main goal. So it sounds more like you're kind of uh, trading the Delta, the direction of the move, but through the options instead. We are. So you don't have to be right on the direction. Well, I'd say we're just not maximizing theta. I think that's the separating thing. You know, if we, because of these options, it all, it is all theta because there's no in, intrinsic value to them. Um, that's really where we're making our money, but we're not ramping it up so much. I think some, that's where I differentiate us between other options traders. I guess you're we, not, you're not coming in with a view on implied is expensive to relative. Right. So we're going to sell, right. It's, Correct. it's being sold no matter what. It's we can exactly. There are times where we would rather have implied a greater than realized. We want to have that obviously, but that's not, that won't preclude us from doing a trade, especially if it's two, three days before expiration and there's, and you're selling an option seven to 10% below the market, you know, something like that. If we can get an okay, yeah, that, that's the, you know, weighing the potential risk and reward. If we can make those 20, 30 cents on a high probability trade, you know, that's what we like to see. It's not a, you know, but there's no dogmatic kind of trade based on that. There's no, we have to have a position. A lot of it is, okay, look, here's this, you know, and I, I like to point to it. We've been staring at screens for 20 years in Scott's case, you know, 30 plus years. So there's that, that feel for the market. You, you stare at a screen long enough, you get that feel of like, this doesn't feel right. My spidey sense is off here. And that's a lot of times the indicators will back that up, but just seeing the feel and getting in the flow of the market can really reinforce, you know, sometimes it's time, it's, it's good to be conservative rather than aggressive. And generally we're going to err on the side of conservatism because of that. But inside that conservatism. So if you're trying to make this 25 basis points a week, mm -hmm. wh what are you risking in order? Right. Theoretically, what are you risking in order to get that? 10%, I mean, 5%? You obviously, you, you, the obvious risk of any short option is potentially unlimited. We have right. to say that, of course. Of but course. The, the, the way we hedge them is we say, if, if this position starts to, and, and at the beginning of every trade, our, our risk management comes in and says, if this, you know, say we have a put that's 10% below the market. Uh, if the market drops 3% in is relatively short order, say we're four days before expiration, that type of move will generally trigger us to reduce that position by half or push the entire position down. Not out in time. Generally, we don't like to go out in time because in the current market, we don't think you're compensated for rolling out. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be there. But in that case, if the market goes well before we're moving 10%, you know, if you sell that option for, let's say, 80 cents and it's still three days before expiration, you drop 3%, three, 3%, that's probably going to be $2, you know, just using estimated numbers here, of course. But that type of, that type of trade is like, oh, I'd rather... I'll risk that losing that dollar or two because you lose 10, 12 basis points on that trade. But in order to keep maintaining, all right, we can sell that 80 cents and we can sell that dollar knowing that that's our, our trigger point to, to kind of minimize the risk. And so, do, you, do you ever worry or feel like the other side is char overcharging you to get out of that? Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's always that risk, you know, it, it's not necessarily an overcharge because there's, you know, when you are, when you're doing these trades, there's, you know, you're trading with two dozen, three dozen, whatever different people. Yeah. So there's always other market makers and that's a, you know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, 
we're not that big of a player. Our, our largest fund is 220 million. So that's big enough for the space to, to we could, we could move the market if we dumped all of our, we did a full trade at market go kind of thing, yeah. but that's not really how we trade. We are, we trade in, in bits and pieces. That's, you know, that's our MO. We, we, we prefer to, to step into and step out of trades as needed. Right. I was curious because your long vol counterparts are like, we're the liquidity provider and these guys are, these guys are seeking it right at the wrong time. Right. And we're going to just be sitting back saying, okay, right. Like Eddie Murphy and trading places. Like, right. All right, all right. And I think yeah, the, the key is right. to do your trade, do your hedging preemptively, because if you're coming in and you know, if you're doing that trade when you have to, yeah, that price is going to be worse than you expect it to be. Yeah. But if Which you say like Volmageddon and those people right. at 305 trying to exit yep. those options. And yep. And I, I have a good anecdote about that, that specific week right there, but I'll jump into that in a second if you want to. Yeah. Um, but it's, I do think that's it. I think that's one of the separating factors of, you know, we're hedging these positions you know, we'll, we'll talk to other people and like, why are you hedging this? Why are you, why are you getting out of that position so early? It's because of that point. Exactly. We don't want to be buying this into a fast market or, you know, looking in a bid wanted situation or in the opposite, a extreme melt up. We don't want to be covering calls on the market screaming higher after they announce a vaccine is, you know, available to everyone tomorrow or something like that. Yeah. So that type of potential risk out there, we like, we seek to avoid that by, hedging early and you know oftentimes hedging unnecessarily admittedly but that's yeah. okay we're fine and with he- that. hedging means that pushing it out or covering uh, generally either covering that risk or pushing it up in strike generally not pushing it out in time that's and not the, buying the, wings or something of that nature yeah it, it, usually not because then you're just making a short spread and you still have a lot of exposure you know, right. and you're not like, doing any delta hedging or things of that. No, no, I think with that kind of stuff, we don't like to use the futures uh, for the delta hedging like that because one, the the options we're trading have such low delta yeah. that you know once they acquire that delta, then we're we we should have had. You want to be out there. anyway. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, right, you're putting on one micro. <laughs> exactly, it's like it doesn't make a lot of sense to, do. and especially since we trade the mutual fund alongside a lot of SMAs. So you have to kind of parse your positions to say, all right, here's my kind of least common denominator. We need to do at least this many, many options in order to kind of allocate across everything. Things you have to think about in that kind of situation. So, so you mentioned an anecdote about Vaughn again, Feb yes. 18. What, what so, was that all about? You know what? I, I'd love to use that one as an example because you look at our return that month. We had up about one point, depending on the program, 1.2 to 1.5%. You know, both programs, strategic and tactical, were profitable. And one of the things we'd like to use, one of the tools that we kind of, I'll put that in our technical indicators. Right, which seems slope. totally impossible for a short vol program. Exactly. Yeah, you think, explain you know, it. A lot of, a lot, we know, you know, how many, you know, funds that shall not be named went out of business that month, you know? Yeah. Um, that's because of that dogmatic approach. We have to have a lot of short volatility, no matter what. And then when VIX triples in two days, you know, you, you get in a lot of trouble. Do their names um, rhyme with RJ Smuckers? <laughs> in that range, yes. Yeah. Um, um, the yeah, we we had we had a lot of calls that week. Like, how did you make money, and how did they lose so much? So yeah. Uh, anyways, it's um, about, I'll I'll say if you, we had and we had a nice blog post. We'll put it in the show links on. LJM, what went wrong? Massive, exactly. massive notional exposure. Exactly. They were very big. And, you know, and I, I can't speak to how they trade. I just know they were very big and they lost a lot of money. I can't yeah. say here's what they did, but I can tell you what we did. So, 
you know, if you rewind to the Friday before that, one of the tools we like to use is looking at the slope of the VIX curve. So generally it's, you know, positively sloping, you know, spot VIX is underneath month one, underneath month two, yada, yada, yada. Very nice and boring, kind of positively sloping. When that inverts, when there's a double inversion, when spot VIX, the cash VIX we all see on CNBC or our Bloomberg TV, when that goes above month one future, which is then in turn over the second month future, you get that double inversion. When that happens, that's when it's potential for crazy volatility. Friday, February 2nd, 2018, the VIX curve inverted. Middle of day, probably one o'clock central time. So we saw that and we're like, wait a minute, that doesn't look good. Market was already weak that day. We said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to close out all of our positions for next week. This doesn't look right. You know, again, it's a, you know, a feel of the market, market falling into, you know, after, because earlier that week, you know, the market had been peaked that January. It was crazy. We were, we were screaming higher. Then all of a sudden the market really started tailing off very quickly into end of January, early Feb. We saw that and said, that doesn't look good. This, the feel of the market's not great. The technicals are telling us this VIX curve inversion is, is flashing a bright red light. So we closed. So tactical went into the weekend with no position whatsoever. I think we had some short calls well above the market and strategic had nothing. Obviously, history then shows us Monday volatility goes crazy. Tuesday gets worse. You know, at that point, we're sitting there looking for opportunities. And after probably three or four more days, we then stepped in. Once we kind of saw, you know, things return somewhat normal, figured out what the root cause of this was and said, okay, this is some things were going on. Some funds blew up. They kind of probably yeah. exacerbated it. And then we were able to, you know, look for up. Then as a vol seller, it's green light go, right? It's like, a- it, not fully. It, it's a, you know, we, that's our, it would, you know, hindsight being what it is, it's easy to yeah. say, oh yeah, sell everything you can. But in that case, we're like, all right, let's just step into trades. And Not we did go, those. what, 12 to 30, 12 to 28? I can't remember. Hey, I'd have to look back. I think at least 30, but it but was. But it wasn't 80, right? No, so that's it was the, not. That's it the issue not. there. Like, okay, exactly. we're selling at 30. What if it goes to 80? Exactly. And that's yeah. the trick right there. And people ask us that same thing, like in March. Well, why didn't you sell a lot of premium March? You know, you should be, you know, VIX was at 60. Yeah. Well, that's great. But like you say, you know, if the market goes, if you wake up tomorrow and we're to limit down again, how many times will we limit down? Yeah. Um, you know, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. We're think, not swinging for the fences like that. Yeah. And I think like 87, all the VIX wasn't around, but it would have printed like 128 or something. Something like that. Exactly. Some yeah. insane number that, you know, people, and even that with the crazy delayed tape back then. So, yeah. Um, and then, so take us into March 2020, because similar, sure. you'd think vol, you'd think option seller, you'd be taken out in a body bag, right. but it worked out for him. So in, in that case, you know, we saw, you know, in, in, if you look at a couple indicators that we were using, even as early as January, we kind of saw, you know, the VIX curve got flat. We saw a number of things that, that told us, you know, wait, this doesn't feel right. You know, it doesn't, it, it, there's underlying weakness in the market. There's not a lot, the index was doing fine, but it did not look healthy. And we had some indicators telling us this. We then took a step back. So the technicals were saying, be cautious, but we didn't know. There wasn't some bright red light saying, you know, go to the sidelines, be careful. Yeah. But at the same time, we use that macro like we talked about. You know, in middle January, late January, 
we see this, you know, the flu in, in going on in China as virus, it's all over there. And admittedly at the time, we thought it was more going to be more of a supply chain issue. If this is affecting China as, as much as it looks like, and you make a product that is dependent on, you make a widget that's dependent on something that's coming from China, you may not be able to sell your finished product, may hurt your profits. That's kind of what we thought. We are not virologists. We're not going to say we are. Yeah. I but, remember I had forgotten until you just mentioned it. I was buying like water and food because they were like, yeah, the supply chain is going to get right. yep. even the foods, which happen a little bit, but not nearly as much as everyone thought. Medicine, things like that. I was yeah. kind of, you know, saying like just stock up on things that you have to have. Um, obviously, did not anticipate what it became or else we would have been outright short. Yeah. Um, but that's not really how we trade either way. But that was that, you know, the technical is telling us one thing combined with the macro of this thing going on that could be something we don't know told us to get conservative and be careful really early. Now, we were, that just means we were just dead wrong through a lot of February, you know, because February just was a pretty strong month until the very end. At that point, when we saw, okay, wait a minute, Italy's a mess creeping into New York. Uh-oh. Let's batten down the hatches. During the month of March, Tactical never had a put long or short in its portfolio. We made about a 25% or 25 basis points return that month, just selling short calls. Um, strategic that it had a pretty decent month because we were able to do the same thing. We were able to do essentially just you know long put spreads and make some money that way. So that's the, you know, the MO. We, we're out there to you know, take a big, large position in that type of market, even though volatility is great. Like you say earlier, you know, it would be wonderful to short VIX at 60 if it goes to two or goes to down to 12. Wonderful. Yeah. But if you short VIX at 60 and it's 110 the next day, you're, you know, then dust off your resume. Right. Exactly. And that's part of the, right. What'd you say? Scott's been at it since 97. Well, we started strategic in 97. He started in the early 90s. You know, his, right. his he's got an interesting backstory if you want to get into that. He started with um, he his family ran a, a manufacturing company in the eighties. They sold it, and he was tasked with investing the proceeds. He found a local hedge fund. Yeah, you know, this is a hedge fund in the late eighties, early nineties in Dallas. Wild West, yeah, exactly. This <laughs> is you know, and and even more so, this guy traded futures options. So Scott found it. They invested some money. Scott went to work with him and learned option trading from this gentleman named Stan Finney. That's where Warrington and kind of if you, that's the Genesis story. If you look at it that way, um, once he you know kind of learned how this gentleman traded, he found out hey this is a, a great way to to you know really you know invest money. But that trader was very aggressive. Uh, he the typical you know um, really strong up, strong downs, tough to really you know stomach those twenty five percent months both directions. So Scott learned from him and tweaked it and said, let's change what he does and take it into, you know, a little more conservative version of that. And that's kind of where strategic came from. So strategic, he said, this gentleman sold premium aggressively. If we tweak that a little bit, use the proceeds of those of that short option to then fund the purchase of a long option that creates that ratio spread. And that's where strategic started from. So that's where that's the big difference between strategic and tactical. In this case, you know, and strategic will take the proceeds of those short options, funding a long option, um, stripping away some of that volatility. It's a ratio spread. It's not a one by one. And what it, does that look like on the? Let's just use fake numbers on a sure. on the S and P at thirty five hundred. Sure. So a good example in a normal market or today, because today's kind of yeah. trades 
right. everything is, you know, we're, we're not going past Friday with any of our positions yet. And we're keeping them extremely far out of the money. So our long is 200 points out of the money because yeah. we've seen moves, you know, so we have a, a 200 point, you know, probably a 150 point one by three put spread, but our long is about 150 points below the market. So you've got this kind of, you know, we call it a bear trap because we are seeing these, you know, down 90 point days. Yeah. If you put that too close to the market, you know, one, it's going to be expensive. And two, you can get blown through really quickly on your ratio. So yeah. the way we've been trading that one and that's, and that one's had a tough year strategic's up, but not much about one and a half percent, depending on the, on the program you look at it's done. Okay. But nothing spectacular because of these, you know, no volatility. You've had a lot of realized volume. Exactly. Exactly. It's actually, it's moving pretty well. You know, the, the implied vol has been mostly high, but you know, not, you know, in months like, March strategic is going to sit on the sidelines. It's yeah. just going to not really trade very much because of a VIX of 80, neither of our programs excel. You know, we, we love a, a VIX of 25 to 30. That's great. There's a lot of opportunities there, but like you said, that realized vol is a lot higher than uh, we'd like it to be, but that's part of the deal sometimes. And so let's go back to the general example, 3,500 S and P sure. you're, and you're so, selling puts we'd buy a put spread. So we'd buy a ratio yeah, spread in for, yeah. for strategic. So in that case, they were you know, moderately bearish in a normal market. If the S&P's at 3,500, we're probably going to go long at 3,400 and then sell three down at probably eh, 3,250, 3,270, somewhere in that range. So you have a decent, and that's for about a week to a week and a half before expiration. That's the normal type of position. You know? And so the risk there is you're overweight on the sell side. Right. So right. It is, it's a short gamma trade. Exactly. Right. You're, 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 you're taking in. So the ideal is that you, if the market goes sideways to slightly down, you know, and then eventually your shorts have decreased in value, but your long has held its value or increased. And that's that rate, that relationship where you're looking to take advantage of. Right. Perfect. That's what we want. Scenarios pin right below, right above the short strike. Right? Uh, ideally, but even, I mean, that'd I mean, be too scary, but exactly. Yeah. That's you generally we're out of it long before that, you know, yeah. and, unless it's somehow magically Friday afternoon and we're trading it right there. But most times, you know, if we, that kind of position, we're going to go into it with, it's going to be close to Delta neutral at onset and almost no cost. So that's kind of one of the, 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 the ideas of strategic as well. We want it to be cheap. We are not looking to spend a lot of money on these. We want to go in with minimal cost, but then, you know, ideally sell, you know, buy it for 20, 30 cents on the package, but then come in and sell it for, Four, sixteen, twenty dollars, whatever. If we're right, so you That's do want to you do want to move in that direction. Yes, but yeah, not, so strategic not develops, a lot in that. Direction. No, no, exactly. We don't want to, you know, in that kind of situation, we don't want a twenty percent move, but a ten percent move would have been fine. You know, and something like that. You know, that's the that's the mo. So strategic develops delta as we approach expiration. You know, at the onset of the trade, a week to a week and a half before, it's delta neutral. We're slightly short gamma, especially if it accelerates, we'll, we'll pick it up pretty quickly. Yeah. And that's where that risk management comes in. Because like with tactical, there are short options. So we, we know exactly our risk points. We set up before, you know, even before a trade. Sometimes we're looking at a trade and say, this looks good, but if we need to hedge it, it's going to be a mess. So let's hold off. You know, that's, you know, we've done this 20 stinking years. So we've seen yeah. a lot of different iterations here, but that's a thing that we will often do where we say, you know, the risk management on this trade doesn't make a lot of sense. So we need to hold off, scale back, you know, adjust. 
but the same kind of preemptive hedging is what we're, what we're doing and for tactical we're doing a strategic but because strategic has like we say in that in that case you have a long option and then three shorts so you've got two exposed down below your short so oftentimes that's where we're hedging you know that you, you cover one of you cover one exposed option as the market these you know climbs or falls lower or climbs if if we're doing call spread and then you cover the other one as needed you know, so that's the idea. You don't have it on at the beginning, but then you have it on as you expo- as the market moves. And same thing as tactical there that you could have on both put spreads and call spreads? Correct. Or you can right. shift yeah. one way or the other? Precisely. So a lot of times we'll start, uh, if we're, say we're neutral, we'll put on both a call spread and a put spread, both at, with minimal cost. And we just want one of them to be right. If we spent 50 cents in total, across, you know, the, the entire, you know, portfolio, that's not a lot of money when you, you know, multiply it up with the multipliers and you scale it up per account. It's not a lot of money we're talking about. I mean, we're talking 10 basis points before costs or before fees. So it's not a lot of money what we're doing there. But the yeah. idea being if we can monetize either side, then that's a winner. Which, but so help me understand the basic principle there because harder to understand than tactical. You're not yeah. necessarily long ball. You're just kind of absolute return, but at, you kind of view it as you're basically trying to get a free straddle or strangle. Right. Essentially, it's a um, we are short vol at the onset, you know, just slightly short volatility. But as we approach expiration, it develops, you know, depends where we're at. If we're close to that call spread, we're going to develop a long bias. If we're yeah. close to that, that put spread, we're developing a short bias. So that by you know expiration or the day before, it can have some serious delta to these positions because we are you know our shorts are so far to the money, 150 200 points away, but our long maybe 20 30 points away or in the money even sometimes. Right, but there's no downside to that. That's just that's kind of like the free put option there. It's a free option exactly. Yeah. That's the that's with the, the huge idea. caveat that there's those short shorts. Yeah, exactly because that's but the yeah. thing. If it goes too far, we've seen those a couple of times this year, where excuse me, but the market, you know, comes in doing exactly what we want on an expiration day. So we'll have to monetize it. But then, you know, you have to, you can't just monetize your long option. You can't sell it out and keep your shorts out there. You've got to close those as well. So how do you, switching gears a little bit, how do you explain all this to your typical RA investment, right? Is his head or her head spinning by now? And like, just especially in Texas, I don't know if I just made some enemies down there, but just... (laughs) Like, just give it to me straight, partner. What are you, what are you trying to do? Sure. So essentially with, ta- with tactical, we're just collecting premium. That one's easier to explain. Most people, yeah. you know, get it. You sell an option, you sell, you sell insurance to a guy and hope it doesn't rain, you know, and you plan for plan for accordingly. And are you, are you getting, see, I, I can't even do it. I want to get more into the weeds right away. But <laughs> yeah, no, are you saying me. like, because some people say, Hey, we're risking a 10% down move in a week mm-hmm. to make 25 basis points a week. Right. Like that's the risk is we're risking this event happening or that's what we're selling insurance against this event happening. It depends on our market opinion. But yes, I mean, that's the idea. It's like, hey, we we are cognizant of the risk of, you know, selling options. We totally understand that we and we are forthright. We're very clear that hey, selling options carries risk. We got that. But here's what here's all the things we do to mitigate that and hope to just, you know, avoid those pitfalls. You know, one, it's, it's easy to point back at our track record and say, look, here's what we've done. Yeah. You know, but that said, there's no guarantee of that's happening tomorrow. Of course, not even a CYA, but it's just a, it is true. Yeah. But, you know, I think what our process does, it allows us to kind of say, 
we're identifying these potential issues and we're preemptively acting accordingly. So getting back to the kind of the elevator pitch for strategic is that it's essentially it's a, one, it's a mid range volatility program, but what we're trying to do, the elevator pitch is say, we're trying to capture range in the market. It's all we're trying to do. You know, we construct option strategies to kind of say, to say, Hey, here's our market opinion. And we want to capture that range by doing so. We're going to spend a little money to do that and win, lose or draw. We're going to go back to the drawing board you know, next week and do the same thing, but based on a different market outlook. Cause as we've seen, you know, our market opinion today is going to be very different than it is a week from tomorrow, perhaps. And then you tell me, you tell me what that election looks like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But that, th- these type of things happen. It was, it's not usually not as stark, but our, our market opinion does evolve over time. And we just kind of wash, rinse, repeat. We start with the technicals, do the fundamentals, express it using options. And would most people put you like as equity replacement? I we get bucketed in that sometimes only because we're trading the S and P. I tend to say, don't look at us there. Look at your your non correlated your alts and say, you know, what what am I doing there? Pair us with some some you know trend followers, some other alts, and you know we would argue that that alts bucket needs to be thirty five to forty percent. It needs to be higher than most people anticipate because. You know, bonds have done pretty well for you this year. Will they do this well every year? Stocks were, you know, if we had Especially this conversation. coming from here. Right. Exactly. You know, it's like, yeah, they've had a great run. Unless rates go negative, you know, that may not, you, you may not want to expect that in the future. Same thing if we have this conversation, you know, six months ago, you were telling me how your stocks are the worst thing in the world and you never want to own Apple again or whatever. But that's, you know, obviously they've had quite a run. But I do think, you know, depending on your, your outlook, you shave your bonds, maybe put more toward alts, not just in Warrington, but like we say, other trend followers, some long gamma, things like that. You diversify that bucket because our correlation to anything out there is just almost non-existent. I mean, it's strategic correlation to stocks, bonds, other alts is almost zero. Tactical, same thing. And tactical That's- to strategic is almost zero as well. And that's a big theoretical thing, right? Can you have long gamma and short gamma at the same time? Um, like, I would say you're, you're yeah. buying and selling the same thing eventually. So there's someone right. smarter than me. We'll have to figure out like mathematically, you can't be in that position or I like it could get arbed away or something. But Exactly. Like for us, because we're not just a short gamma shop, I think that's yeah. why you can do that. Because there are months, February of 18, March of 2020 where we're going to, where we should lose a lot of money if you call us a short gamma shop. Right. And that's, you know, obviously not the case. Or the first Trump election, right? That was the mother exactly. of all gamma melt-ups that took some people out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Especially um, if you were short a lot of calls and, you know, and even that January, February after that and early 17 was kind of a mess for a number of funds. Yeah. What, what, what are your, you caught my eye when you said uh, my ear, you're trying to capture the range. Do you feel right. like the Fed put and everyone's trying to basically clamp down on volatility feeds mm-hmm. into that? I was like, hey, we're trading this thing and per the tea leaves, that's exactly what the you know, the handlers of the market are trying to create with mm-hmm. their monetary policy and telegraphing what they're gonna do way ahead and things like that. So you're asking, do I think that they're going to, or how does that impact us? Yeah, just basically, do you does you think it meshes well with the world we live in of like sure. the Fed's going to keep the lid on volatility for as long as they can? Maybe they're out of bullets. You yeah, know, I was say, all those maybe, arguments, but 
they are they're sure trying to pass that baton and i don't know if they're going to be able to but i how it dovetails with us is that we can make money in low volatility environments or high volatility environments we don't need a um specific i mean ideally if you said mark i'm gonna give you a vix of 17 to 25 for the rest of your life and it's a great that's wonderful but you know who knows what that will bring and the fed would like that too i have a feeling but as we've kind of seen, even in this year, the Fed was trying to keep, keep a lid on volatility and look what happened. So, you know, I, I think they have, they are not the, the, you know, Wizard of Oz wizard behind the curtain that can control everything. I think they're going to try to, yeah. but I'm afraid that, like you said, I, think, I don't know if they're out of bullets, but I think sometimes their bullets aren't, they, they can't work for the problems they've created. Yeah. But some would argue that they did it, right? It was like a quick one month down move and right, right. back. That's true. It's a very good point. Like there's really tens of millions of people without jobs and whatnot, but yeah, the, the market came right back. Are you hearing all this talk about dealer gamma and the VEX and Vanna and all these second order Greeks and basically where the market makers are hedging? Do you guys give any... Uh, what are your views on that? Are you using those as indicators? Don't use them as much. Uh, I use the, the gamma exposure a little bit. But because we're so short term, we're not going out very far at all. And I, I think some of those are good tools, especially if you as you approach an expiration. I think that's one thing. We'll look at the open interest across a number of different markets and see, you know, like we've seen, you know, oh, there's, you know, X many billion of notional and Apple. Yeah, well, that's fine. But if the if it's you know, twenty dollars out of the money, that's not going to have any real effect. So that won't do anything. But if it's if I see a lot of close to the money S and P specifically, you know, or NAS options, yeah. those are ones that'll catch our attention. And that's where we'll kind of pull in that research and say, all right, here's, you know, the bias may be this, but here's where gamma is going to have an, a potential issue. And we, you know, short term, we don't necessarily trade around it, but we will use that to influence our, you know, how we unwind. That discretionary um, piece. Right? Exactly. So if you're but, like, Hey, we love this trade. Let's put it on system says it, but look at right at that, First strike, there's tons of gamma there. Exactly, that precisely. And that's going to go off the book. Precisely. Yeah. That'll act as an accelerator. So, yeah, the very, very, very good point. And then you, you mentioned Apple. Do you have any fears or concerns or thoughts on those FANG Plus becoming bigger and bigger part of the index? Oh, sure. Like I mean, at I, some I, point, I, you're trading Apple instead of S&P, right? You know, that's... that's I, I, one of the reasons why we don't like the NASDAQ and we could take our strategies and apply it to other indexes, but we don't because the S&P is still broad enough that, yeah, Apple and Microsoft are five, 6% of the index, not 25. Yeah. So that helps. I, I do think just for the health of the market, you know, companies getting that large is not great because if XYZ happens, because then you get that headline risk. You know, we, we talk about this phrase headline roulette a lot where, we're, you know, maybe doing some research, working on a project, giving a presentation, and then, you know, you check your, you know, Bloomberg alerts and, oh, wait, um, you know, we just banned WeChat and therefore, you know, no Apple products to be sold in China for 10 years. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. You know, those are, are disconcerting. But again, because we are focused on the S&P, it's less of an issue than it is in the NASDAQ. And NASDAQ is, is so concentrated that I... That's you're trading like you say five stocks. Yeah, and you have to become expert in right. Your indicators have to shift to what affects those five stocks. But it seems like that's into the S and P too, because it's five percent. But of of each of those, right? 
Right, right, exactly. So it's not 70% year index, but it is 25. So that's enough. But yeah, it, it's, it's, they're heavier weighted than I'd like to see, admittedly. I definitely would like to see yeah. a little more broad base. You still had, right, like in March, Boeing falling through the, exactly. was causing S&P losses. So. Exactly. And in that case, like Boeing just absolutely ki- killing the Dow because it's silly price weighted index instead of market cap. Um, exactly. Right. But nobody trades Dow options. Right? Yeah, I know. I, I um, do, we used to, when I first joined, we, we did trade Dow options in the, gosh, early 2000s. And as we kind of looked at the open interest, we realized we looked around and we were the last one in the room. So it's like, hey, we can't do that one anymore. So. <laughs> uh, and what are your, I had some ones I can read you here, but also what are your thoughts on just what some of the biggest mistakes retail or even professionals make when they're selling options? Oh, sure. Uh, the, the most common one is falling in love with just the premium price you know, completely forgetting what risk is, you know, the, if you, you know, the, the slippery slope of like in our case, we're selling something for a dollar. Like, well, hell, if I just move 20 strikes closer, I can sell it for $2. Well, if yeah. I go a little closer, I can sell it for three or four or five. And then all of a sudden you've got a, you know, seven, 10, 20 Delta option that you, yeah, I sold, I took $5 down and that's great, but it's going to be 25 when, Trump tweets something or things like that happen. That right, so you, you sold know, it for the same dollar amount, but it's ten times riskier. Precisely, when, yeah. precisely. You bring in too much, you know, too too high of a delta. Not appreciating preemptive risk management, I think, is the other big sign of it. You know, knowing that you know, as you know, if the market starts barreling toward your position, you know, extend and pretend doesn't work. If you go out there and you just push it out in time, because yeah, you don't realize that loss immediately but you took on a lot of that time risk. I mean, properly valuing time risk. If you have an option that's going to expire in two days and you make it at one that expires in 12 days, all of a sudden, you know, that's a very different trade. It's a very different trade. So I think not, you know, avoiding that, um, you know, just being a good risk manager, I think is a, is the biggest thing people can learn. And usually it's really expensive. Uh, yeah. The, um, right. What's the, uh, Patrick Malady, do you know him? He does, uh, he runs a fund, but his, he always brings it back to a pilot. And like, you could fly 10,000 flights in your life, never have an issue if you crash on the last one yeah. <laughs> and kill all the people, right? Yeah. Like it didn't matter. Those other exactly. 10,000 were, didn't matter at all. So Precisely. To, that's why a pilot, every time they get in the cockpit, checks, goes through the checklist. That's yep. all. Yep. Treat, it, treat, um, it like, treat it like that. And so we mentioned rolling out the positions. That's a mm-hmm. famous one. Uh, what about like treating calls and puts the same? Um, in what way, as far as balancing them in how you trade or, yeah, or just how, like you, how you execute them? No, like more of like just selling options. I'm going to sell them an equal amount out or uh, okay, no. selling both think, sides. Right. 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 Yeah. Calls are very, calls are very, very different than puts, you know, because generally when, now this is interesting, what we've seen a couple of times this year, um, we had that yeah, kind melt of counter up. to what you're about to say. Right? Yeah. Exactly. You all of a sudden you saw the market scream higher and volatility go. And that's, you know, those type of situations are usually triggers for us to, again, manage that risk, go to the sidelines. Because if volatility is increasing, generally volatility is decreasing as the market goes up. That's the general rule of thumb. That's why when puts, you know, puts get really expensive as the market's cratering. But as the market's climbing, a lot of times called don't price up. They kind of flat, 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 and then kind of accelerate. So hedging that before that. 
what we've said, well, like, it's, like I mentioned, what we've seen a couple times this year is that volatility increasing when calls, when, when the market goes up, that's a different situation. That's more akin to how puts price that's, you know, so we'll treat those as puts, you know, hedge them very preemptively. Whereas sometimes we'll give calls a little more room to work intraday, not overnight. We don't like to do that overnight because you do have gaps. That's part of the problem that we're seeing a lot of, you know, new slow overnight gap up 30, 40 points, you know, then all of a sudden you can be in trouble. So we want to avoid that type of situation. Again, that means we're hedging options unnecessarily, if you will, if you say in the rear view, but we want to hedge that prior to it becoming a very real issue. So, so I, I think they are different in that sense. Um, but you have to treat them, you know, with kid gloves both ways. Um, well, I think you said this is one of your thing, but another retail possible mistake, like selling it right before earnings, a single right. stock name or right before say an election or a yeah. Fed announcement. Right. Cause it, we, we know one thing we like to say, we know when we don't have an edge, we, you know, this, uh, this election specifically is, I don't want to call it a coin flip, but there's enough factors where we as a, you know, small shop don't have our, we're not doing exit polls. We're not doing this. We're not yeah. you know, conducting our own survey. So we don't have an edge there. So you're not going to see us take a massive position. If we may not have any position, depending on how this thing trades before then that may be a, you know, three days of, you know, being in cash and then we reevaluate. But that's one thing we've we've learned over the years to know when we don't have that edge and then stand aside if need be. I'd argue some of those big firms that are like have their own polls and everything can that creates a little like bias towards your own information. You oh sure. Way uh, more hurt than you security. would. Yeah, exactly. Um another one holding your options when they're not worth anything. Like if you're short and you're holding cabinet bids, what are your thoughts on that? Depends if it's uh, day or day of. Sure, fine. If it's that far out, a lot of times that money is just sitting fallow, and you should either, you know, roll that closer if you're committed to that position, or clean up your books. You know, having a almost worthless option sitting on your books for too long is not a good idea. I don't think. Yeah. But if it's if it's the day of the day before expiration, then I think that's a an okay risk to take unless if you don't have a position that you need to take take its place because that's you know in in this world now margin is a very real issue we have had you know margin fcms keep raising margin into the election so that little tiny option that like you say maybe cab that yeah. it's sitting there taking up fifteen twenty thousand dollars worth of margin and that's just that's a waste so you know you don't don't need to put that up if you don't have to What are your thoughts on some long ball people would say like that most of this, you know, one by three spreads or outright selling is like a terminal break even, right? Like eventually it's going to lose money. It just hasn't yet. Um, uh, so I, I mean, say, since 97 and you're kind of right, right. You're, you're solving that by like, we're not always doing the same right. trade day in and day out. That would make it more terminal break even, but right. I could argue like, well, it's still terminal break even. You're just have, skillfully picked when you're getting into those trades and if you had a long enough time horizon right eventually right. it would hit you on one i don't know what are your thoughts i on think that? i'd say my general thought is that that's kind of where you know as discretionary managers we're saying we are market timers we are making market timing decisions and some would say oh you can't do that that's impossible well i would disagree 
in yeah. that sometimes we are, you know, saying we are agnostic on the market and other times we are taking a position. I think that difference, if we are, like you said, always had a position on, I would agree with that statement that the, we are, we are terminally doing a break even, you know, proposition if we always have this on, but because we are going in and out or hedging quickly or being aggressive, you know, it's that manager skill I think you're paying for and being able to, you know, time the market being able to look for positions that, or look for opportunities that a, just a standard index won't. I think that's what differentiates that. And that's why I do think, yeah, I, I would disagree with the, the notion that it is a break-even analysis or a break-even proposition long-term because of that. Yeah, and it, it assumes you hold it till expiration, a lot of things, yeah. right? Like, um, uh, there's, and, that, and that's the thing I love about options. It's like, it's some cliche, 3D chess, 4D chess, but there's so many different iterations. Yeah. Is it this expiration versus that? How far out of the money? How many of them? Long versus short? Spread versus outright? I love options for the creativity. With like with a stock, you're either buying it or selling it. Okay, you yeah. either it's a little different. So I love the the flexibility. I call of it three D chess on the water with sharks with lasers on their head. Which could be. Yeah, it's there. There, <laughs> there is risk out there, without a doubt. You mentioned you've tried it on other indices. Have you tried it on like bonds and currencies and whatnot? We've never tried it on there. We've paper tried. We've looked at yeah, it. Like you know, this is, yeah, like were Yeah, there were some that we looked at. Yeah, was it gold, silver, uh, nat gas, crude, uh, euro and yen we looked at years ago. And there's certain aspects for what we do, especially in the strategic side. Tactical, I think, could be in a lot of different, you know, it's just pre, it's premium collection and risk management is what tactical really boils down to. Strategic, though, needs a number of things, you know, a liquidity, option granularity, uh, a one delta hedging instrument, you know, getting that, you know, that underlying, you know, that's why we prefer the futures options over SPX. You know, yeah. there's your basis risk if you all of a sudden are using SPX and then you have the ridiculous expirations every month as opposed to quarterly. So um, using, we looked at those, uh, again, it kind of boiled down to where's your expertise? You know, we like, we like the S&P because you are, it's kind of a macro mentality. Everything is impacting the S&P, you know, currencies, energy, financials, technology, momentum, everything is kind of building into the S&P. And so therefore we can, you know, be, you know, I guess more macro generalists as opposed to crude oil experts. Right. You know, that would be, that's a, I think fast forward, you know, five, 12, 10 years, whatever that number is that I would like to see us expand to those. But I think that's a bring on a research team that is a, these people are focused in blank is a yeah. crude oil or whatever that is. But those are very different markets. I mean, right now there's so much more capacity in the S&P to do what we do that we don't really have a desire to really expand that way. I just, I see it from the flip side, from the long vol side of these managers of like, hey, S&P vol is too expensive. So I'm going to go into proxies in gold right. or bonds. Right. So it, you could flip that on its head, right? Of like Exactly. That would be um, find the market where the best, you know, risk yeah, reward is like, oh, exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that was really what started to say, all right, you know, with S&P may not always have the best risk reward based on what we need, but that's where I think strategic has, it's really, it's good. Uh, it's, you know, flexibility to kind of, tweak those positions and uh, and kind of fit them to the volatility. You, and it's interesting, you're saying like all the, which I agree with, S&P's got all those factors coming into it. Like most people would say that makes it almost impossible to trade. 
right? Because there's so many factors coming into it. You don't know which way's up a lot of the time. I like it because you don't have, it's not, I'm not, I'm not sitting around waiting for an EIA. Yeah, yeah. It's not a binary market. Oh, a lot of capacity. Okay. Market goes down, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a lot of we call them cross currents. There's a lot of things that are impacting trade deals, everything. You know, I don't need to list them all. You know, there's so many things that are pushing the S&P on a daily basis that I think it's a really good representation of, you know, the world economy. It just is what it is. Yeah. And, and where the world comes to head just been kind right. of shown in March and everything. If you're worried about the virus, you're coming to buy puts in the yep. U.S. You're not yep. buying them on the Italian exchange or whatever. Precisely. Cause you need, you want to make sure that exchange is going to be on the other side of it or somebody, you know, exactly. Finish every pod going through a few of your favorites. So we'll start with, uh, you, we already talked Cowboys. I was going to say Texans or Cowboys, but you're already, a- Oh, definitely Cowboys, but I'll put Mavericks over the Cowboys any day of the weeks. All any right. day of the week. We got it. You know, Mark Cuban, we want to get him on the pod. Oh, I, I, I don't know him, know him, but I've run into <laughs> him a number of times. He, in our, our building down at the, in the Crescent, I've bumped into him a half dozen times. He doesn't know me, of course. No, yeah, I, I him, gave him so. a business card way long ago. I used to have bull season tickets and he was oh, there right. with the Mavs. And I was like, Mark, and he just turned <laughs> around and I gave him my card. I think he dropped it or threw it away. But Or he's going to call you tomorrow. You never yeah, know. Yeah, tomorrow. Um, what about college football down there? Uh, you know, I don't have a horse in that race. I uh, went SMU? to Wash U. Uh, you know, SMU for grad school, but, you know, is it an MBA? It's, you know, it's not the same experience. Wash U is a Division three school. So yeah. it just, the, the football was, there were more, I went to a public high school here in Texas. So the football, I was not on the football team, but our football team was was pretty good. Uh, go, go Owls. Uh, they, Owls, there was a, you know, probably, in the playoff games, fifteen to 20,000 people there, oh, yeah. those type of things. Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights kind of stuff. So do you go to that? Go to see that at, at WashU where there's 200 people there for D3? You know, mostly yeah. girlfriends and parents. I played D3 and it was, yeah. I, and I grew up in Florida. So yeah, way less people in attendance in college than exactly. I saw. Precisely. Same so, thing. but yeah, no no college team. I, I'd, I'd rather the Longhorns win than A&M, but that's, um, you know. All right, no horse. No, horse. How about favorite him. favorite Dallas barbecue spot? Uh, probably probably Lockhart's. They Lockhart's. use this. Um, uh, God, what is it? What's the wood they use? Post oak that has oak. such a different flavor than the hickory mesquite kind of thing. Oh, it's phenomenal! It's great. Uh, and how about Dallas versus Austin? Everyone loves Austin. Oh, easy. No one talks about Dallas. Dallas, Dallas. Da- <laughs> Austin is cool and it's great. You're gonna go out partying and stuff. But uh, I want to raise a family. You know, that's the thing. I've got I've got kids. I, I don't need them to be wandering down to Sixth Street and partying a little right. too much. You know, college. They'll go to college. That's fine. But Dallas, I love Dallas. Dallas does not have a great reputation nationally that way. Houston has its little country and oil and. Dallas's, you know, little finance and yuppiness, if you want to call it that. But, yeah. uh, but I love it. It's a great town. Great town. I mean, that's every dinner. Every time you see friends here, everyone's complaining taxes and oh yeah, pension. And they're like Nashville yeah. or Austin, Nashville or Austin. Yeah, I mean, like, Dallas is right there. You drive around. There's probably more California plates than Texas plates. All of a sudden, <laughs> it is. It is very common to see a lot of transplants because. 
you know, frankly, compared to even probably parts of Chicago, I'm sure our real estate is cheap compared to you guys, just because, you know, we yeah. no, no land borders. There's no, there's not a Lake Michigan kind of boxing us in. So right. You can just go a out. further Northeast, South or West. Exactly. Um, favorite Texas is so big favorite vacation spot inside of Texas. Ooh, inside of Texas. Yeah. It's not my favorite. I, I'm a beach <laughs> guy. I love the beach. Big Bend National Park. You ever been down? I've there? never been. Can't say I've ever been. Um, I want to go do that. Rough Creek Lodge. It's kind of a really nice little place. About an hour and a half out of here. Uh, it's kind of an outdoorsy but nice enough place. You know, that one's pretty good. All right, I'll, uh, I'll take outside of Texas. Outside of Texas, easy. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a place called Inlet Beach in uh in just east of destin in between destin and panama city uh you know in that area okay. rose right next to rosemary beach where happy, that's my happy place where hurricane zeta is gonna go oh yeah for, again they they get i would i don't want to own property there but i love to visit there so yeah. Yeah. uh and finally favorite star wars character uh gotta go han solo there i'm a go. han solo guy yeah. little little han solo, little, but yeah. and he always had the coolest gun you know, For I sure. love the, the, his little blaster. Actually, I just have sat my kids down and watched episode four with them nice. uh, two weeks ago. And it, it stuck. You know, my seven-year-old was a little hesitant when I told him space samurai with laser swords. He's yeah. like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. So <laughs> it worked. And- are they Mandalorian fans? We're, not yet. Not yet. I'm, I'm, I, I did a little research on how to progress. And it was like, there's some, it's a couple of machete version where you start at four, five, six, you skip one. Yeah. It's some weird thing where it's going to take us. That's, you know, our, you know, there's, they're doing school from home. So I'm like, all right, let's, you know, every so often we'll do a, a fun thing on the weekends for you guys watch one show. So we're, we're a long way away from the Mandalorian. I'm afraid. <laughs> it's coming back Friday. Week, so. As they say, it's coming out soon. Great. Any other comments on the, uh, so where can they, sure. they can go to the Catalyst website and then go to the Rational Funds yep. website. Yep. Yep. Go there. Where else Close can up. they learn more good stuff about you guys? Uh, you can go to our website, warringtonasset.com. Um, you, I think yeah, that's, uh, I think they're the Rational, Catalyst and Rational websites, uh, you know, are really good. I think some of the materials they've made are phenomenal. You know, yeah. I think they have a really great team that has put together some stuff that really highlights. So here's what we've done in certain situations. Here's the history of the fund, you know, and I can't go through your RA and they'll be able to get through the, the sales rep, uh, the proper materials for you. But I think there's a number of things that they put together that really kind of highlight that, in a you know, three, four pages, you know, versus listening to me chit chat about it for an hour and a half. But that's a nice, you know, for you know, yeah. succinct way of uh, of capturing our returns and uh, understand what we do. And they've got some good uh, little video of Scott on there as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, Mark, it's been fun. Um, awesome. Thanks, Jeff. We'll post all the links and everything in the show notes. We'll Excellent. talk to you soon. Thanks, appreciate it. Have a good one. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter at RCMAlt and visit our website to read our blog or subscribe to our newsletter at RCMAlt.com. If you liked our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear from you.